I hope you know Christ. And if you do, I can tell you His will for you. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, that you be filled with the Spirit. I quote Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. He wants us to be controlled by His Holy Spirit. It's His desire. That's His will for us, that we be Spirit-filled. This is the will of God for you. That is your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. He wants us to live holy lives. And if you wonder what does that word mean, he says that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. And we saw that whole section where he states that it is his will for every one of his children that we live pure lives. And this is God's will for you, that you give thanks in everything. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part five of the message titled, The Will of God. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Take your Bible this morning and turn to Romans 12, 12th chapter of Romans. Succinct statement of the Christian life. Uh, We've taken several weeks to look at it, verse 1 and 2. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I mentioned you can summarize the Christian life out of those two verses a whole variety of ways. I mean, just about every phrase is a good statement of the Christian responsibility. Give yourself to Him. Look what He's done for you for 11 chapters. Give yourself to Him. Present your body. Don't be like this world seeking to live for yourself. Uh, No, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can show forth, so that you can discern and do the will of God. Now that is the Christian life, doing God's will. Jesus Christ, the man, said, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And I think the ultimate expression of it, when he looked at the cross and he prayed, if possible, Father, let this cup be removed from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. And I always feel like uh, even just reading that, I'm on holy ground. And I don't... uh, need to to do anything about that except just listen to that and be humbled by our Savior's desire to do the will of the Father. And uh, that's our responsibility, to do His will. You look at that little phrase in verse 2, and we want to take another look today at the will of God. It's not mysterious. It's not hidden. It's revealed. It's revealed. If you're not a Christian... God's will for you is that you be saved. He's not willing 
that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We saw that last time. If you're a Christian, we saw that his will is just as straightforward. I hope you know Christ. And if you do, I can tell you his will for you. Don't, uh, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, that you be filled with the Spirit. I quote Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. He wants us to be controlled by His Holy Spirit. It's His desire. That's His will for us, that we be Spirit-filled. This is the will of God for you. That is your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. He wants us to live holy lives. And if you wonder what does that word mean, he says that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. And we saw that whole section where he states that it is his will for every one of his children that we live pure lives. And this is God's will for you, that you give thanks in everything. Turn there. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Because uh, we glanced, you know, at three clear statements last time for God's will for the believer, that we be spirit-filled, that we be sanctified, and that we give thanks in everything. And I mentioned that there are precepts and there are principles in the Word of God. You know, there's signs that say 25 miles an hour. It's pretty clear. And there's other... That'd be a precept. And there are other signs that say, drive carefully. That's a principle. And both are found in the Word of God. And uh, I want us to note today, as we begin, that God's will is not limited to the notation, the will of God. In other words, last time I said, here's God's will for you, and I gave you three clear statements of Scripture, and I could give more, in the sense that there are other places where the Bible says this is the will of God, you know. But it is not limited to that. Look at verse 18, 1 Thessalonians 5. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now that is a precept. He doesn't say, think about being grateful. Consider it. He says, give thanks in everything. Is that God's will? Yeah, point blank. You can't miss it. Does that mean, though, that verse 17, pray without ceasing, isn't God's will? Because he doesn't note that? Pray without ceasing. That is God's will for you, you know. No, of course not. We're to pray without ceasing. That is God's will also. What about verse 16? Rejoice always. Is that God's will? Of course. What about verse 15? See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Is that God's will for you? Yes, it is. It's God's will for every one of His children. What about verse 14? We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Did you know that? That's God's will. That we admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all men. Looks to me like he expects me to have discernment to figure out whether someone's just weak or faint-hearted or unruly. 
And I'm under responsibility. It's God's will that I handle them accordingly. In other words, what I'm saying is all the New Testament precepts are God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It isn't limited to the notation, the will of God. Keep that in mind. Our job is to discern and do the will of God. And it isn't merely when he says this is God's will. Everything he wrote down is command. Every imperative is his will for us. Neither, now listen carefully and don't misunderstand me, neither is God's will limited to his written word. Now, I I said limited. It is governed by his written word. But it is not limited to his written word. Some things aren't written down. And yet, God has a desire for your life. He has a will for you. He has a purpose for your life. But he didn't write down in this book who to marry, did he? It'd take a pretty big book. (laughs) He didn't even tell you whether you should marry. He said... That's the norm, I suppose, if you read the principles of Scripture. You can't miss that from the beginning when he created us male and female. But he also said in other places, uh, Paul said, you know, I wish everybody were more like me, so devoted to the Lord that they bypass marriage to give full, undistracted devotion to the Lord. And if you're single, it's not a given that you should be married. And neither is it written down who you should marry. We're not told what job to take. We're not told what career to follow. We're not told which mission board to choose if God calls us into missions. We're not told uh, what neighborhood to live in. We're not told whether to rent or buy. Are these important decisions? Yeah, they are. We're not told whether to send our kids to a Christian school or send them to a public school or to not send them to school at all. Educate them at home. We're not told these things. It's just not here. The list goes on and on. You know, which health care group should you be in? <laughs> should you <laughs> be in one? What retirement fund? Or should you have a retirement fund? None of these things are spelled out in Scripture. And yet, uh, they're fairly important. And the list is fairly impressive, is it not? Now, today I want to talk about how to discern and do the will of God when it is not revealed. Because I believe that is part of Romans 12 too. Not all, part. In other words, we're going to be talking about how to discern the will of God, not from the Word of God. We've seen that. And most of life is governed by the Word of God. And I, Well, let me put it this way. All is governed by the Word of God. Uh, but much is spelled out in the Word of God. But we want to learn how to discern the will of God and do the will of God from the work of God. In other words, uh, He does have ways of guiding us uh, above and beyond, you might say. And I want to emphasize before we start that the work of God never clashes with the Word of God. Always we want to let the Word of God inform these other principles that we can glean from His Word. Uh, but they're, they're never going to be in, in clashing or anything like that. And let me also say that the Word of God is primary. The work of God, and you, you might be asking yourself, what do I mean by the work of God? Well, I'll get to that in a minute. 
But the work of God is secondary. The word of God is primary in understanding and doing his will. Now keep that in mind and uh, turn over to Ecclesiastes. Turn over to Ecclesiastes. I want to give five principles today from the word of God on discerning and doing God's will when it's not specifically written down. The first, I'll give you five, be simple. The first, God can and does use circumstances. Circumstances. Guidance, we could say, from God's providence. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 13. Consider, consider the work of God. Now that's why I'm using this term, the works of God, or the work of God, uh, in distinction from the word of God. He has spelled it out in his word, but he is also at work. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Christian, think, consider the circumstances you find yourself in. Consider the work of God, whether it's a good day or a bad day. You see, things don't just happen. I was watching a commercial and it just, you know, trying to milk more money out of us for the lottery like they always are. Uh, and they said, what? Luck happens. And people think that way that don't know the Lord. But things don't just happen. What have we seen, in fact, in the book of Romans? What have we been celebrating? That he works all things after the counsel of his will. The determined will of God, Ephesians 1.11. He works all things after the counsel of His will. He causes all things to work together for our good. So when it says consider the work of God, immediately our minds should be thinking this way. I quote Romans 8.28, I think you know. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. Things don't just happen. God is in charge. The Christian knows this and should think on this. Notice uh, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be happy. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. God's in charge, he says. Consider that. And he's in charge so much so, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, he says, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. God is the sovereign one, and it behooves us to remember that. The one who, and I think of the 139th Psalm, who encloses me behind and before, who understands my thoughts from afar, who knows my words before I even speak them, before I even think of them. The one who knows all these things, he causes all things. He is able to guide and direct us through circumstances. And the godly Christian recognizes that in life. Things don't just happen. And so, as circumstances unfold, we learn from, we evaluate, we pray for guidance from changes in our health. National events, local events, 
family issues, a job transfer, a job firing, or being let go. We instinctively, and we should, we ask God to guide us through these things. Uh, let me sh- give you a couple of examples. Look, well, I won't even have you turn there. In Acts, you remember what he said, one eight. He said, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall receive power to be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the earth. And then God used circumstances. In chapter 8, a great persecution arose to drive them out to do what he said he wanted them to do to begin with. Go out into Judea and Samaria. Paul says in Philippians 1, my circumstances, and he was in jail, he said, my circumstances have worked for the furtherance of the gospel. Because as I'm in jail here for the gospel's sake, many brethren are being more boldened, they're emboldened to proclaim the gospel. And so what did he say at the end of Philippians? I have learned to be content in my circumstances, whether prosperity or adversity. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I say the godly Christian doesn't just think life unfolds by chance. He recognizes that God's in charge. Now, in each one of these cases, I'm going to say this. Don't overdo this, but don't ignore it. Don't overdo it looking for meaning behind every detail of life. You and I can't know those things, but we can at least be cognizant and reverent before the Lord. But don't ignore circumstances. Bill Bright, I remember about 30 years ago, shared in a meeting that I was in that he considers every circumstance, and in particular he was speaking of every circumstance where you find yourself with another person as a divine appointment to share the gospel. He said, I feel if you have, if you're put in a place with another person, that's a divine appointment to share the gospel. And he's the kind of guy that lives that out. Now you say, is that written down in the Word of God? No. Can that be overdone? Yes. Can it lead to kind of a legalistic constraint that you feel like you've got to share the gospel every time and it just isn't walking in the Spirit? I suppose it could. And I suppose some maybe have used it that way. But can it be used to remind us of what we're here for? Can it be biblically attested that we're left here to be ambassadors? And can it be used and has it been used in many, many lives to stir us to remember why we're here and why I have contact with my neighbor or the guy at the gas station, or the person that shares an office with me? Oh, yes, it can be and has been used. To remember these things are not just happen chance. Secondly, secondly, counsel. First, circumstances. Second, counsel. Guidance from God's children. Listen uh, to the book of wisdom. To me, this is overwhelming. You know, when you turn to the book of wisdom, the Proverbs, you gain insight on God's will for life, God's wisdom, okay? Listen, just listen to this. And when you find something once in the Proverbs, it should be listened to. When you find it twice, three times, four times, God's trying to get something across. Does he want us to listen to the counsel of other believers? 
Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. 11, verse 14. 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. 13.10. Through presumption comes nothing but strife, but with those who receive counsel is wisdom. 15.22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. 20.18. Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. 24.6. For by wise guidance you will wage war. And in abundance of counselors there is victory. 27.9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friends. Uh, God wants us to listen to others' counsel. God can guide us and does guide us through others' counsel. You think of a biblical example. uh, Jethro came and he observed Moses all day long, 16-hour days, listening to the people's problems, giving counsel, you know. And he said, hey, what you're doing, Moses, is not good. And this is the father-in-law, you know. And Jethro takes the time to say, Moses, uh, you're going to wear yourself out and wear the people out. And he gave him godly counsel, and Moses listened, and God guided him to delegate. Uh, God's will can be found through counsel from others. Rehoboam, we were just reading in our family devotions, Rehoboam took over for Solomon, and he went to the uh, advisors of his dad Solomon, and he said, look, what should I do? And they said, listen, if you'll lighten the load on these people, the taxation is a little bit too heavy. If you'll lighten the load and lighten up a little bit, they'll serve you. And he said, okay. And the Bible says he rejected that counsel. And he went to the young bucks, you know, the government activists. <laughs> and he said, what should I do? And they said, lay it on thicker. Tell them if your dad was tough, you're going to tax him heavier than ever. And he followed the counsel of the ungodly youth and split the kingdom right in half. No, counsel is important, and I uh, would encourage you. You know, Paul, every time you see, I mean, in Romans, he said, I long to get there to Rome to be encouraged by your faith, yours by mine and mine by yours. How is that happening? When we speak and encourage and counsel one another, we are built up. We're to speak the truth in love for what? The building up of the body. Every word. Don't let any unwholesome word, Ephesians 4.29 says, proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is as good for edification. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Will of God, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're excited to announce that Downtown Bible Class will have a new name beginning in April. The program will be called Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Same Christ-centered teaching, same music, same announcer, same times, and radio stations. Our new website will be abideintheword.net. 
Our listeners will have the same access to listen, download, or connect via podcast. Why not head over to the new site and check it out? There'll be access there to the entire archive of messages from Pastor Scott, easily searchable and accessible for your use. Again, that's AbideInTheWord.net. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. I know on the Elder Board, oftentimes we will discuss issues that seem to have no simple solution. And we're not quick to move ahead if there isn't a peaceableness among us. I know the same thing happens at the church council level, and I believe it should happen in our hearts. There should be that peace that sets in. Now, don't overdo that. Don't wait to move until you have, you know, don't become too introspective, but don't ignore it. And if you're just unsettled, then chances are you're going against uh, something that you ought to be thinking. Maybe you need more counsel. Maybe you need to get some godly counsel. Maybe you need to reread the circumstances. Search the scriptures again. See if there's principles that you're violating because God is not giving you that peace that ought to be the characteristic of uh, those in the will of God. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part six and the final part of the message titled, The Will of God. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.